This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now, here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. Human beings have an amazing capacity to draw up wonderful actions of goodness, but God's Word teaches us that this capacity is not our core. Our core is evil. Jesus put it this way, you, being evil, know how to give good gifts. And here's the moral of this reality. Don't count on heaven by looking to your capacity to be good. Instead, count on hell because of what is at your core. If you do that, you'll put yourself in the place to understand and rejoice in the good news of resurrection life that Jesus would freely give to you. God is good. God's nature, His character, is benevolence. It's to seek the advantage of others. I guarantee you, the core of your being is not to live for the advantage of others. It's to live for your own advantage. That's evil, God says. You, being evil, have the capacity to do good things. That's nice to know. But God doesn't simply have the capacity It is his core. It is his character. It is who he is. The amazing thing for us is that we find in that moment of capacity some hope that through that capacity we can link it all together to weave some rope that we can climb our way up to God with. We can just be good enough that we can get to God. It's like a person, it's like me. I'm a terrible golfer, but every once in a while I get one good golf shot and I actually think, well, maybe someday, you know, I'll score, you know, I'll be a great golfer. It's just one shot and it was lucky, right? We have this capacity every once in a while to strike a good hit in life. And then we think to ourselves, well, there you go. That's really, that's me. And that's, I'm going to put a number of these together. If I can get a number of them on my resume, I'm sure... I'll make my way to God. I'll make my way to a point where he'll receive me and he'll trust in me. There's a rich young ruler that comes to the Lord Jesus and he asks the Lord Jesus what he has to do to receive eternal life. The Lord Jesus is going to tell him, oh, you know what the Bible says, obey all the commandments. He'll answer him and say, I've actually done all that since my birth. I've been keeping score and record and I've got the capacity to follow all these rules. He comes to the Lord Jesus and he says this to Jesus. He says, good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? You're a good one. You've got what it takes to get to heaven. Tell me what I need to do to get there as well. The Lord Jesus answers him. And by the way, in saying this, the Lord Jesus wasn't denying his deity. But the Lord Jesus answers him and says, Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. In other words, basically what the Lord Jesus is saying is, let's, Let's understand this right from the start. To get eternal life... The first thing that you need to do is put out of your mind that there's anything good enough that you can do to get it. Because God's the only one who's good. You're going to have to die to that idea. But it's amazing, actually, how resilient people are in this idea that they can scale some rope of good deeds in order to gain God's acceptance and God's approval. They will actually move through the line and buying coffee. And they'll pay for the person behind them 
but then they won't just pay behind them, a, kind of an anonymous act, but then they'll put it out on Facebook so everybody can know. <laughs> Do the same thing. Maybe I can start a whole movement of people buying people coffee and people are resilient. You don't know what happened the rest of that person's day after he bought that person a cup of coffee. You actually don't know why he was motivated by the cup of coffee. I think he probably snapped at his wife when he's going out the door. And that, well, I should buy somebody a cup of coffee today and kind of balance this out a little bit. The fact is, is that we try to be good because something within us wants to be good. I know what that something is. God has put within us a desire and a knowledge that we need to be good to be in his presence. Since the time you were born, when you were a little child, you didn't really want to be. We were not necessarily nice little kids, but we wanted to be. We dreamt of being good. We wanted to be good. We haven't turned out what we wanted to be, but that's what we wanted. God has put this instinct within us. And even though we've lost this standing, we keep groping and keep working to get back to it. And even though we fail over and over again at achieving it, we can't entirely get rid of this idea that maybe with one more try, one more effort, one more commitment, we'll get there. Actually, it's not entirely untrue that you can actually get to heaven by scaling the pathway in goodness. This is, by the way, the standard for gaining heaven. It's being good. It's becoming good. God actually gives us what the standard is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. There God says, be holy, for I am holy. The Lord Jesus reiterated that in Matthew chapter 5, 48. He said, therefore, you have to be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. How are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing in your quest to scale your way into heaven through your own goodness? Holy as He is holy. Perfect as He is perfect. Most Jews thought, well, you know, I know some are going to make it. The Pharisees will make it because they really follow the law meticulously. They live a life. Have you seen the kinds of gifts they bring in the temple and the alms that they lay down at the festivals? And these men are devout. And the Lord Jesus comes along and says, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never see the doors of heaven. That kind of blew people away. I mean, I got to be i got to be more moral than a Pharisee. i got to be better than... Because these guys are really, really moral individuals. Actually, you got to be this moral. you got to be as moral as God. As good as God. Again, the vast majority of people think that they can come to eternal life by climbing some rope of good works into heaven. And even... Those who deny this, they know, actually, I know that that's not how it's going to happen. God has to give this to me as a free gift. I know, I know, I know. But the fact is, there's a hidden impulse in all of our flesh that thinks that we can self-obtain a position or a standing in heaven by our own effort. We fall back in it all the time. We trust in our own abilities and our own labor, and we end up living in that way. And by the way, if you want to follow that standard, if you want to reach that standard, you want to follow that chart for yourself, God's given us the steps and the laws that you've got to follow. You've got to keep them all intact. I'll, I'll give them to you. It's the Ten Commandments. So I'll just quickly paraphrase them for you. You shall worship God and Him only. You shall not worship any idol, that is, any image you impose or set up for God. 
You're not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That means you're not to put God's name on your lips while you're being a hypocrite or while you're being irreverent or living a hypocritical life of irreverence. You're to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to honor your father and mother. You're not to commit murder. You're not to commit adultery. By the way, Jesus said if you look at a person and think, that guy's an idiot, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus said if you look at a person and you lust for them that you've committed adultery in your heart. You're not to steal, you're not to lie, you're not to covet what your neighbor has. I've shared this story with you a number of times of being in Bangkok and talking to a, a professor of economics. I was asking her a series of questions, we're talking together, and I was hoping the leader to share with her the gospel, but I could see that she just kind of wanted to spar with me intellectually, and so I decided just to kind of jump to the chase. And so I, I asked her if she thought she was a sinner or not, and her answer was, well, yeah, I, I think I'm a sinner, but... I'm not a bad sinner. I'm basically a good person, was what she said to me. So I said, well, you know, there's actually a test that God gives us that we can test whether we are righteous people or not. And so I took her through these Ten Commandments. And then I said, well, let me just take you through the last five, and we won't take them in order. So I basically said, Ka, have you ever told a lie? And her answer to me was, well, yes, but that doesn't make me a liar. All right. I said, well, Ka, let me ask you, have you ever stolen before? Have you ever stolen anything? I mean, do you remember... Do you remember the first time you looked this way and that way and took something that didn't belong to you? And she just smiled at me and shook her head, acknowledged what I said. Ka, here's this passage that says that you're, you're not to commit adultery. The Lord Jesus clarified this. He said it's not a sin simply because it's the act that we commit. It becomes a sin before we put it into our hands. It's a sin in our hearts. If you look at a person, you lust for them in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. Have you, have you ever done that? Well, she acknowledged she had. Murder was the next one, you know. It's not simply that you kill somebody, but Jesus said, actually, if you look at a person and you think hateful thoughts for them, you want to kill them. You think they're an idiot or a fool. Have you ever done that? I mean, have you ever done it? She acknowledged that. The whole time she's thinking, yeah, okay. So I've done those things, but it doesn't make me. It's not like, okay, I thought that thought, but that doesn't really make me a murderer. I thought that thought, but it doesn't make me an adulterer. I've stolen something that doesn't make me a thief. You're not supposed to covet either. That's where you resent and you want what somebody else has achieved. And you want it for yourself. And you're not happy because you don't have it. Has, has that happened in your life? Actually, at that point, she got a little emotional because the reason she came and saw me was she was being eaten up inside because she was in a position for a promotion that her nemesis at the university got instead of her. And so it was so disturbing her, she told her friend she'd be willing to meet with me. I didn't know that at the time. Anyhow, after having gone through all that, I wasn't quite done. I said, Carl, let me ask you something. How many times would a husband have to cheat on his wife in order to be an adulterer? She said once. Well, how many murders would you have to commit in order to be a murderer? She said one. Okay, Ka, how many lies would you have to tell? She goes, all right, wait. Okay, I'm a sinner. (laughs) Let's not go down this, I'm a sinner. I said, well, that's right. Having acknowledged all that, and I think you'll all see it, Again, I'm going to tell you, it's incredible how resilient people are in reasserting the fact that although they acknowledge that's true, they can still be good enough to scale some rope to make their way to God. But what they don't understand is just one of those sins, just one of them, and the rope gets cut. One lie, one thieving act, one adulterous thought, one murderous thought, one act of coveting, one act of denying God, of not worshiping Him, but worshiping something else, and the rope gets cut, And that way to heaven falls to the ground for you. It just falls to the ground around your feet. 
And there's no way up. There's no way up from there by yourself and on your own. You see, you have to die to this idea that you're good enough or that you can do something to become good enough for heaven. And I know we don't like to think that because it can be quite demoralizing. In fact, it should be rather devastating and crushing. Because if you die to the idea of your basic goodness, all you're left with is the reality of your basic badness. And that's what the cross teaches us. Until Jesus comes to you, until he comes to those who are dead, dead in their sins, and dead to any possible way of morally bringing themselves in the presence of God, you need to understand that you are not good people. You are intrinsically and at your core. You can do good things, but that's just a capability. It's not your core. The fact is we are sinners under God's judgment apart from Christ. We are liars and thieves and adulterers and murderers who have regularly failed to worship God alone, instead worshiped our bellies, our comfort, our ease, our passion, our desires, our own way. We worship our own reputations before others. We worship our pleasures, our jobs, our families, our possessions, our false sense of goodness. Boy, do we ever worship that. We've consistently bowed down before these false gods and worshiped them. It's the first sin that we commit. Instead of worshiping and serving the one true God who made us. And we know it's true. We know it's true. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.